the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson. Here you will hear teaching that will challenge you to a deeper walk with Jesus. Whatever place you are in your understanding of God's plan for your life, you will grow closer by listening. No shame, no guilt, and no condemnation. But you will be challenged to a closer walk with God. Now here's Pastor Israel with today's teaching. The message this morning is the wholeness of life. Our text is taken from Isaiah chapter 48, beginning with verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even the youth lose their strength and get weary and tired, and even the young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Uh, that is in Isaiah chapter 40. I beg your pardon. Chapter 40 verses 28 to 31. I was uh, at a music store a few years back uh, checking out musical instruments and I like to do that from time to time because I like to look at the acoustic guitar section of the music store. And as I entered and I went to that section uh, where the acoustic guitars were, I noticed that they have a lot of brand new models, brand new, shiny, just off the factory. And people are going out there checking them out and testing them out. And, and they, they came in all shape and sizes and, and all uh, levels of affordability. Some of them are $100 each. Uh, some of them go up to all the way to $5,000. And as I was looking around, I saw this, this one guitar inside a glass cabinet. And in big bold letters it says, do not touch. And then I checked out the price and it nearly floored me when I saw how much they're selling this thing. And, and um, as I look at the guitar more closely, I noticed that it's a really old guitar and it's got a lot of scratches and some of the metal parts are, you know, corroding. And, and it just didn't look right to me. And yet, when I talked to the uh, salesperson out there, uh, he said to me, Hey, you know, I know it doesn't look good, but it's more expensive than your house. I could tell. The guitar cost $500,000. So I kind of joked around with him and I said, Well, you got it all backwards then. You should get the brand new shiny guitars in the cabinet and you should put this old guitar out there for people to look at. And he said, no, this guitar was one of the first ones to come out of one of the 
oldest guitar companies in the world. He's, he's talking about Martin and Company. And he said that this guitar has been played by some of the best guitar players in the world. And it has put in its time. And you will never hear a more complete sound when you play this instrument. And that's why it costs so much. It has nothing to do with what it looked like. It had everything to do with the completeness and the fullness of the sound that come out of the instrument. And that's exactly the kind of value we have, not only in the of God, but also in how the world sees you and I as God's children. Our life should emanate that wholeness and that completeness. We're not looked upon on the outside for our wholeness and completeness, but what's going on in the inside of us. We're not supposed to display ourselves on the outside. It's what's on the inside that makes us complete. This is what Paul described, how we are viewed by the world as those with treasures in jars of clay. On the outside, we may look insignificant. There may not be a lot of things going on on the outside, but inside we have the word of truth. We have the gospel, the treasures in jars of clay. And that's at the heart of our profession of faith. When we say we are complete in Christ, when we say we have wholeness of life in Christ, what are we really saying? We're really saying that we don't have a need to look elsewhere to find satisfaction. We don't have a need to look anywhere else to find fulfillment. We don't need to look at anywhere else to, to fulfill the desires that we have in our hearts. Christ is all in all. It's not Jesus plus something else. And that's the difference between God's people and the world out there at large. We have a sense of wholeness. We are complete. We have a complete life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, how do we know we're actually living that out? How do we know that we are demonstrating that whole life? And, and, and it's not just a buzzword. You know, Christians are good with all these buzzwords. You know, my life is complete, but what, that, what does that even mean? You know, we're good with buzzwords, and sometimes we use expressions that, that, that people don't even understand, but, but we do understand. How do we truly know that we have that sense of completeness in our life? What characterizes that sense of wholeness? Now, the gospel does not offer a problem-free life. I think we all understand that. The gospel doesn't promise that we're going to have riches and wealth and prosperous lives. Uh, the gospel doesn't say that, that we're going to be free from troubles and sicknesses. Uh, it's not necessarily bad that, that we pray to God for these things. But as far as the gospel is concerned, these are not what makes the gospel powerful. And that's not what completes our lives in Christ. The gospel is more than just the external superficial things that the world goes after. The gospel is about wholeness. The gospel is about completeness that we can only find in Jesus. And we know that that's true because by faith we know that there are certain things to be true of ourselves. We need to see wholeness as something we grow into. 
We are now made complete in Christ. Positionally, the Bible says, we are righteous in Christ Jesus. We have been made righteous, but when we, what we need to do is we need to grow into that reality. And the same thing with that wholeness. Positionally, we are complete in Christ, but we need to learn how to grow in the reality of that wholeness in practical terms. There are three things we must recognize to be true, and to be real in our lives to make sure that we know that we are complete, that we are whole. And that wholeness must become a reality. You know, preaching is of no value if, uh, uh, if, if we cannot gauge or measure ourselves in light of certain realities and certain truths, okay? So, so this whole exercise of preaching is to, to get us to see things from the standpoint of the Spirit. What is God doing in the inside? How are we getting transformed? How are we being made whole? And there are three realities, three things that will give us not only a clue, but a firm grip on the, pack, on the fact that we, have, we are being made complete in Christ Jesus. First of all, when we acknowledge the fact that God expects us to know all about His glory. God has an expectation of our knowledge of God's glory. You and I know that we are being made whole, that we are being made complete. The moment that we recognize that God expects us to have a knowledge of his glory. Look at verse 28 again in Isaiah. He wrote, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Do you not know? Have you not heard? A better rendering of this question is this. Don't you already know? Haven't you already heard? There's already an expectation from God that we know all about His glory, that we have heard about His glory. The moment we ask that question as a rhetorical question, coming from the point of view of God, it changes. It changes the level of the question. It, it gives the question a more powerful, powerful force. Don't you know already? Haven't you heard already that I am the everlasting God? That I rule all creation? Or are you still looking for other ways to find wholeness and completeness in your life? Let's test ourselves uh, with this question. When, when we get into trouble, when things happen, when we experience trials in life, what are some of the questions we ask? Right? I mean, this is for my, my, my own uh, spiritual uh, uh, perspective. Uh, I ask questions like, uh, God, why are you allowing this thing to happen in my life? Uh, when I'm getting into a lot of trouble or there are certain things going on in my life that I don't understand, the first instinct, the, the first spiritual instinct is to ask, why are you allowing this to happen? God, why, why, why is this going on? Are you, are you punishing me for something I had done? I don't know if you've asked that question, but I have, certainly have, and a great deal of many Christians do. Uh, we ask things like, uh, are, you, are you trying to get my attention on something? 
Is there, is there something that I need to, to learn? Are you teaching me something new? And loved ones, God is saying, no, 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 not necessarily. When things like this happen in your life, when trials, when problems, even tragedies, when they happen, God is asking the question. When we go through these things, God is asking the question, don't you already know? Haven't you already heard that I am the everlasting God? That I am the creator? And here it is. Here's the most important statement in that verse. Don't you know that my understanding is beyond your understanding? Don't you know that my knowledge is beyond your ability to fathom? So when these things happen, God is asking the question. My expectations from you, God says, as my children is, you should already know who I am. You should already know my glory. You should already know by now and have heard by now that I am the everlasting God. You should know by now that you can ask yourself until you're blue in the face, but there are things that I do that you cannot ever know because you can't fathom them. I am God. I'm everlasting. There's a great story in the Bible in Matthew chapter 8. Maybe you can turn there. I'm going to read, read it to you. This is about Jesus and his disciples. Great story. We've all heard it. Jesus wrote with his disciples. Verse 23 of chapter 8. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. You know, let me point out, let me stop there. Let me point out the fact that Jesus was not in, you know, was not, you know, had nothing to do with the storm. Jesus was just allowing the natural, physical, uh, you know, characteristic of this creation. All right. I mean, he, he, he obviously was sleeping on the boat, a bad time to sleep, right? With his disciples panicking and all of that. Jesus was sleeping. Jesus wasn't worried about the storm. But obviously his disciples were, okay? Again, Jesus had nothing to do with the storm. He's just allowing the natural cor- course of this physical universe to take place in that very moment, okay? And his disciples started panicking. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Those were the exact words in the Bible. Jesus got up. They woke him up. And Jesus knew the book of Isaiah. All right? You got to know. He knew the Old Testament. And Jesus replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then, it may not be recorded here, but Jesus knew Isaiah. You of little faith, he asked the question, Don't you already know? Haven't you already heard that I am the everlasting God? That I rule creation? That I control this universe? That my understanding you cannot fathom? And he looked at the storm and he said, be quiet. And it was quiet. And they asked themselves because they were amazed. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. 
I know who he is. He is the everlasting God. He is in their midst, and yet they were afraid. They were not complete. Completeness in life is when we look at our worries, when we look at our troubles, when we look at our dilemma, and begin to look at a God who says he is the everlasting God. That completes us. Nothing destroys our faith than, than, than the fear that comes in. What's got you worried? If you're a child of God, through faith in Jesus, you can be sure that it's part of God's wholeness process that he's performing in your life. It's part of being made complete. It's part of the conforming process. You will never look at your problems the same way again. And you and I will never look at this pandemic again the same way when we know all about the glory of God. You and I have to acknowledge His glory. Do you worship God by releasing your expectations completely in His power? And when we agree that God's understanding, we cannot fathom. We know we ask too many questions of God, you know? I know I do. You know, the, the first toothache that comes, you know, oh, is this happening? And God is asking the question, don't you already know? I am the everlasting God. You'll never look at the problems the same way again. Never. Because you and I are being made complete by the power of God. Well, I get that, Pastor. I, I understand. He's the everlasting God. He's got all this power. And he's got everything that, that, that I would need uh, to be able to put my faith in him because of his great power. But what do I do with my problem? Okay, what do I do with the very real situation that I'm in? Well, it's a good question. And, and, and the, the, the verse doesn't really deny us that reality. But when we acknowledge the glory of God, he does the second thing. And that is, he begins to give us the experience of his kindness in the midst of our groanings. That's the second thing that happens. Look at verse uh, 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But God gives us an experience of His kindness in our groanings. Notice that Isaiah says, He gives strength to the weak. What is being assumed? It's assumed that we're all weak. There are weaknesses in our lives. God knows that. He assumes that even young men, we got uh, several young men in here, uh, the Bible says that you have weaknesses too. You don't think about it. <laughs> I was young once, about 14 years ago, and I thought I ruled the world. I thought I was the everlasting God. <laughs> but the moment you get that first pain from arthritis, you realize how weak you really are. When you start battling gout on top of your doubt, that's when you realize even young men grow weary. And notice Isaiah says that he increases the power of the weak. And that's God's act of kindness. He's aware that we're not strong enough to battle through life. And now people have problems with Christianity because, you know, it seems like a weak kind of religious system, but it isn't. It's the strongest kind 
of system. Simply because we don't rely on our own strength, we rely on the power of the ruler of the universe. So don't buy into that kind of thing. God assumes that we know all about His glory and He also knows that we are weak. That we have weaknesses. That we can't go through life fighting our problems with our own strength. And part of the wholeness process is for God to take us through these issues so that He can show His kindness to us. His loving kindness. The Old Testament word is hesed. He does that. He shows us His kindness. And He does this, this, this demonstration of His kindness in three ways. Number one, He causes us to, to have a contrite heart. He begins to deal with our hearts. You feel the kindness of God and I feel the kindness of God in the inside of my heart. And this is how I know that God is being kind to me. He's given me a contrite heart. Okay? You know, Paul says in the, in, in, in the Bible, uh, it's, the, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. He does reveal to us that we need to really abandon those things that are causing us a lot of grief. We really need to learn to hate the things that God hates. That's what it means to have a contrite heart. A heart that is uh, uh, repentant. A heart that, that says, I want to please God more than anything else. A heart that says, I hate this sin. I keep falling into the trap of this sin. But God's kindness causes us to have a certain amount of indignation against that sin. And, and, and if it offends God, it's something that breaks our hearts. As, as God's children, we got to get rid of some things in our life that really offends God. And that's what a, a contrite heart looks like. And it doesn't come from us. It's the kindness of God that gives us that kind of conviction. It's the heart of God. It's the kindness of God that gives that, the heart of man uh, that longing to, to satisfy the name of God, to satisfy the presence of God. Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because he receives the kindness of God. The kindness of God that says, I still have conviction. You still have conviction. You still feel badly about that thing. That's been going on in your life. That's the kindness of God. How would you like to be engaged in sin and not even feel bad about it? That's terrible. Yeah, I've been, I've been in those dark moments in my life and I can tell you, nothing, nothing destroys life than not recognizing the fact that God wants us uh, to, to follow His heart on certain things. The whole concept of, of receiving rewards in heaven has something to do with some of the things we're willing to give up in order to please God. That's just the reality of the Christian life. How many people you know will receive an award, will receive a trophy without winning anything? It doesn't happen. You know, I got this, this trophy for winning a golf tournament that I didn't play. That's no good. No, the Bible says we're going to be rewarded because of one thing. We have abandoned certain things in order to please God. And guess what? That sense 
of 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 abandonment of of things in our life came from God's own kindness. So he's given us everything that we need to be able to live a complete life. I'm not saying we're not going to stumble, we're not going to fall. I'm not saying that at all. We're still human beings. We live in a in a fallen world and we're all fallen people. You hear me say that many times. But there's a vast difference between saying, well, you know, I'm this way and, you know, it's nothing I can do about it. And saying to God, God, I struggle with this. Grant me repentance because I hate it. I hate this thing in my life. Second thing he does is that he gives us courage. Courage is the one thing that God gives us when we stand strong in our faith. Wholeness or completeness cannot be achieved in us without God giving us the courage to stand strong in our faith. Even the courage that we have, like the uh, contrition that we have, is God-given. Okay, It is important to God that we show courage in this life. It's important to God because courage is a sign of trust. Courage is a sign that we still have a, a reasonable, amount, reasonable amount of faith and trust in God. Don't let anything, not even the crisis that we're going through right now, get you to think that God will not help you. You've been listening to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson, a ministry of Living Rock Christian Church in Sunnyvale, California. If you have been helped by this radio program and would like to keep it on the air, your continued prayerful and financial support is greatly appreciated. Please visit livingontherockradio.com where all your tax-deductible gifts will go directly to the radio ministry. That's livingontherockradio.com. Living Rock is a church that doesn't care how you are dressed or what candidate you voted for. A church made up of imperfect people from all walks of life with a hunger and thirst to understand God's plan for our lives. No matter what you've been through or what questions you may have about God and faith, you will find love, grace, and hope at Living Rock Christian Church, 675 East Taylor Avenue in Sunnyvale, with Sunday worship starting at 1030 a.m. More information at livingontherockradio.com.